Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. On this episode, Caleb and I are going to share our thoughts on the season finale of Andor, which is called Rick's Road, and what a finale it was. Caleb, hello, first of all, and what did you think about this episode? Hello, and I always enjoy recording with you, sometimes with Luke. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But I was legitimately excited, looking forward to recapping this and talking about it with you because I enjoyed it that much. I just thought they had so many different storylines, so many different characters that we were introduced to in the beginning season. And now to see the most important ones just working together and simultaneously working against each other. It was very, very interesting. And I enjoyed all of it. I really thought I was going to be like, oh, this is too big. This is too big. They can't, they can't conclude it. They're going to leave a giant cliffhanger. But I just thought it was very, very well done. Maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. But it's, I, I felt like this finale um, really did a great job as a finale to a season, right? And... You know, there's especially with Star Wars, Star Wars, I think, has done a good job with their Disney Plus shows. So far, we just have Mandalorian. We have Andor. We have Bad Batch. We had some uh, additional seasons of Clone Wars. Book of Boba Boba Fett. And I think that they've been pretty good at making uh, the finales of seasons. Um, I'm sort of comparing it to Marvel in my own brain. Marvel has sort of been hit and miss. Star Wars, I think, has stuck the landing more. But this one, my gosh, the the other one that I feel like is a comparable is uh, Mandalorian Season 2, mm-hmm. where, you know, spoilers for Mandalorian Season 2, um, where Luke co- comes to uh, pick up Grogu. That was just a shocker, right? That was a just that whole episode itself was fantastic. This one, you know, is close. It's really close for it. For what it did for the show, I think... Um, I, I agreed with you. Going into this episode last week, I was thinking, where is this going to go? What is what is going to happen? And I really loved how it was centered all back on Ferrix, with a couple of exceptions where we see Coruscant. But for the most part, it was all centered back on Ferrix. And I just think that that goes to the heart of the show, which is the individuals. And this 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 is sort of ground zero for this show. Um did you want to give any more general thoughts about the saluting general thoughts about this about the episode or I honestly I have a a page full of notes of just stuff that I that I loved you know we don't really hold true to like um a, a structure when we record these things that we do you know this is just us talking about things there's a loose a loose structure but sometimes we'll go you know scene by scene we'll go location by location sometimes we'll go character by character um this one here for me is just sort of like highlight moments because you know it was so it was so focused in its direction like there was there wasn't a lot of jumping around uh it was so focused uh, or do you just want to get right into the to your your favorite moments of the of the uh, the show the this specific episode? We can go either way. I have, yeah. I loved what they did with Cassian because not only is he coming back because he's trying to attend and be a part of his mom's life as much as he can, even though she's now died, and it's going to be literally the equivalent of her burial, right? which I thought was so cool Mm -hmm. to make her into a stone as a literal building block for the city that she loved so much. Me too. I thought that was just poetic. And I love that you get to see him mature and it all pays out in this final episode of the season. And you see him, you don't see him panicking. You don't see him going out of his way to like uh, save his own behind and stuff. He's there for Marva. But he's there really to save Bix yep. and help those who he knows he needs and can help. Yep. So the highlight for me was the music, really. Mm. And I wanted to steal it before you could say it because I know how much <laughs> music uh, has to do with your enjoyment of things. But the anvil player, I don't even know what you would call him. Sure, let's call Was him. so perfectly timed. Like I remember they did it earlier in the seasons. I don't remember exactly which episode. Mm-hmm. But it was just... It was repetitive, 
but it wasn't annoying repetitive. This time it was adding the already like cut with a butter knife tense, you know? Mm -hmm. So when he was doing it this time around, it was just building and building and building. And then the band, like I can have an enjoyment for shows this like in my first watch of it, I was ready to just run through walls and do everything on my to-do list just because of how hyped up it got me. Yeah. And then not to just take over all the highlights, but Marva's monologue was one of the best things, best writing I've heard, not only in Star Wars, but in at least the last year and in my recent memory. It was so incredibly good knowing that she didn't have the physical strength to fight the rebel fight like she wanted to, but she was going to find a way. And man, did she make some real, real changes? Uh, where do I start? Like you, you've, you've, you've touched on so many things that I have in my notes too. Um, but I was, I, I, I sort of, I think I need to just start off with Marva and I'm going to go with Marva and Cassian. You, you've already talked a little bit about Cassian, but I think it was just so emotional and so, moving to see their connection in this episode. And first of all, I mean, speaking at your own funeral, I mean, come on, that's, that that's pretty awesome. But like moving people to fight tyranny because of speaking at your own, that's, that's a boss move. Like Marva is a boss. Um, but that's the, that's like the, the big moment, right. For, you know, and the whole hologram that's, coming out of B2, right? And that little projector he has on the top of his of his head is just projecting this hologram that's larger than life. It's literally reaching the the rooftops of these buildings and I just visually thought it was so striking. Uh it was great to see Marva again. We hadn't seen her in so long and the last time we really saw her was weak and she was very weak and ill. Um a lot of people theorized like that, she, that this was going to be like a fake out because you never saw her die, mm-hmm. and that they were it was a whole plan to get her out of the house, and that she was going to lead the um, the people into fighting. Uh, but I think that this was such a poetic way of doing that because she still did that, but she did end up dying. I am so glad that it didn't go that way because this, like you said, was poetic, but it was also it was perfect for her. She wasn't going to be able to be the leader who charges in with a blaster in her current state. But this way, not only did she get to help, but she was making waves after where she says it herself. Now that I'm dead, I can't fight. And it's easy for me to recommend you guys do it. But she's a big part of the rebellion in the way that she's still getting her licks in. She's, Mm -hmm. She's giving it verbally to the ISB who's there. But she's literally hitting them. Brasso is holding... Yep. Her stone hitting people yep. with her. So yep. she, if she was able to see it, I think she would be very happy. But I also think as impactful as her monologue was for Ferrix, mm-hmm. I think her message that she wanted to convey to Cassian through Brasso was even more impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Because not only does it get it off of her chest as she knows her time is coming to an end, but it's also letting her son grieve for something that he would very obviously have a lot of regrets and he you get to see him convey that but just the way brasso said it i was like oh man if that was marva i don't even know if that would do it justice because cassian would just want to be continuing to convince her to leave ferrix but this way cassian's just listening to the message and is probably dying breath of of the the message she wanted to to send to cassian so as impactful as the monologue was, her her the writing for her character was amazing. I was actually you, you're leading me right to the path I wanted to get onto. Um, the last thought I had on on the the actual funeral was the symbolism of it being on Rick's road, right? So they were going down this this main sort of avenue of the town, and they get stopped sort of like in the square. And I just flashed back to Clem. And what we know about what happened to Clem on that road, and then hearing what Marva had to say to Cassian about her avoiding that road in, in past episodes and going around, but then finding that spark after she heard about Aldani, finding that spark to walk down Rick's Road. And the fact that this happened all on that, and the fact that they named the episode Rick's Road, I thought was just wonderful um, symbolism. 
But going to your point of the conversation with Brasso in that underground hallway type of thing, boy, did Cassian need to hear that, right? Because he immediately, as soon as he saw Brasso, first of all, what a hug. That hug was real. Like Cassian reached further around and squeezed tighter. And normally, you know, you see in, in movies, there's not a lot of hugs that stand out. A hug is a hug, right? You know, I think one of the only exceptions is when uh, Jim and Pam hug <laughs> in the office. That's a magnificent hug in the final season. Um, n- no spoilers for why they were hugging, but it was a wonderful hug. This is, you know, coming up to that point where it's not just, oh, hi, I'm back, I'm here, I'm glad to see you. But Cassian, like, wrapped his hands around his hands and squeezed. And I just think that that's such a... It goes to show you the details, the attention to detail this show has had, and I just loved it. But he immediately starts to try to... It's almost like he's trying to forgive himself by telling Brasso, I came back, I was here, I wanted to take her, um, but she wouldn't go. And Brasso wouldn't let him... He wouldn't even let him go down that road, right? He wouldn't let him go down that guilt and have that guilt he immediately said, like, this is what she wanted to say to you. And, man, the fact that he could remember it, and and I'm just going to say, he said it verbatim, no paraphrasing. Yeah. That was what she wanted him to hear, and he needed to hear it. But the the connection that these two characters have are beautiful. I saw on Twitter a meme, not just not, not, not really a meme, but it was it was like a meme format, but they wrote, Star Wars is always about um, fathers, a story about fathers, but Andor is a story about mothers. Mm. And Cassian and Marvo is an example, uh, and then Cyril and his mother is an example. Um, so I thought that was an astute observation because it's true. But Cassian and Marva's connection, Marva, we've talked about it on past episodes, she was downtrodden, she had no spirit to fight, she had no spark. And she didn't know that this was was Cassian, but when Cassian pulled off Aldani, that lit that fire, right? But then, she, so that lit her fire, and then through that, the actions she's taken, the hologram and the speech, she lit the fire for Cassian about not just running around the galaxy trying to find his next payday so that he can find his next payday, but actual purpose. And he went home, and he found his people, and he was there for his mother's funeral and there she was inspiring him even more and i like the point that you brought up was that he wasn't just there to watch the funeral he could have slipped in and out easily could have found a empty room up high and watched it from afar uh but he went back and used the funeral really sacrificed his involvement or at least seeing the funeral sacrificed that to go get bix because nobody else is going to be able to get her and I loved the stealthiness of all of that, just the sneaking around and everything about that escape. So um, really, that's the last thing I had to say about Cassian and, and Marva. I just loved the, how circular it was, how he inspired her and then she inspired him. Yeah, I had one last uh, thought on Cassian. And I know I mentioned it earlier where he's matured a lot, but he's sort of a leader without the title in this episode. He's not over here calling shots or anything. Yep but he's definitely working behind the scenes and he is an opportunist. He's always been in this season. And as, as much as he's been on camera with rogue one and stuff, he's always looking and, and capitalizing on opportunities here. He sees that all of the ISB and their soldiers, they're all watching this funeral. So he's using it as a moment to be able to sneak into the hotel that's been converted and save Bix. Yep. And it broke my heart seeing her in that state because mm. she's very obviously traumatized. Yep. She can't tell the real from the, the fake. Mm-hmm. She thinks she dreamt that, that Cassian came back over a wall, but that mm-hmm. was reality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She thinks that she saw Marva, but it was just a hologram yep. that she could see. Yep. I just felt so bad. So the payoff for me was they're in this ship about to escape Ferrix, and Cassian's making it obvious, I'm not coming with you guys. Yeah. And B2's trying to get him to stay. Him to stay. <laughs> but Bix goes, he'll, they'll, he'll, find us. he'll find us. And initially I was like, oh, man, he's like, she's thinking he'll find us as in like someone in the Empire is going to find them. They're mm. going to fail. Mm. But no, you see this very s- small, tiny sliver of hope yep. when Bix says Cassian's going to find us with a smile. Yeah. And I just thought that was so awesome because it shows you that connection further than just like an ex 
with the relationship that she has with Cassian. So B2 wanting to keep um, Cassian close broke my heart. <laughs> but man, I couldn't help but fist bump when he says, this is what you always say. Yeah. And then Cassian just reassures him, like, you've never let me down. Yeah. I don't expect it. I'm going to find you. Yeah. And I just thought it was so beautiful because goes back to the Obi-Wan series. You can't mistreat droids. <laughs> you, you shouldn't do it. But uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was Brasso. I don't want to say he's an unsung hero because it goes without saying that none of this really goes the way it did without Brasso. He was an integral part of starting this fight against uh, the Empire Mm -hmm. on Ferrix. Mm -hmm. But he is like a brother from another mother Mm -hmm. to Cassian. And him going out of his way to make sure that he is carrying the stone down Rick's road, making sure that he's helping uh, them escape and all this different stuff... Man, he's the MVP for me of this episode. Without him, it doesn't go the way it does. Well, he really stepped into the void, right? Because Cassian was gone. Um, Bix got captured. And he stepped up and took over and helped with Marva's uh, funeral arrangements and everything that went on after she died. Took care of B, And obviously was very integral in, in getting Cassian through the movements he had to make in this episode. So, yeah, I I am so glad he made it out of this episode alive. I'm so glad Bix made it out alive. I think these characters are wonderful, and I hope that they are um, revisited again in Season 2 because these are characters I want to see more of, uh, and so many characters. There are so many characters in this show. Um, but uh, sticking to things that are sort of connected to Cassian, another powerful moment, I thought, was when one of the first times we see him is he's walking to Clem's stone that's in a wall in a wall. And we get that quick flashback of just a really nice moment of him teaching Cassian how to clean parts and the value of things that other people throw away. Right. And he's cleaning these things and he's like, no, we can we can get I don't remember the the, the exact um number, but the point was that things that people are throwing away, they're salvaging they're repurposing and able to uh, thrive because of that. And if that's not, a, you know, a, another symbolic uh, visual of this series, I don't know what is, right? Because we're literally talking about people that the Empire would throw away. And these people, each individual has value and has something to contribute. So I thought that that was really nice, especially tying it there because he's there for his mom's funeral he goes immediately and he visits essentially his dad's grave, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the um, that's the the tradition on Ferrix, which I also thought you brought it up. I think is a really really cool thing. Um, another thing to stick with Cassian was Nimic's manifesto. Oh yeah. So the first time we saw this, I immediately thought that it was you know writing on paper, and then I believe it was last episode we saw him sort of open it and because we heard it talk. Uh, and I even made mention last episode that we did for Andor that it's a smartphone. <laughs> but I still figured that it would be like a data pad where he would be reading things. But the way that that they made it, which was all you know, text, but also uh, vocal, and we heard Nimic's voice. We saw uh, Cassian listening to it. The things that it said were fantastic. I didn't write down any dialogue in my notes this time like I have in, in past, but not because it wasn't worthy. Um, Marva's monologue, Nimic's monologue, uh, Brasso's speech, all of these things are worthy of re- re-reading them, but I'm, I wouldn't do it justice, so why bother? Uh, but hearing Nimic again and seeing Cassian sort of not that we could physically see him buying in, but the fact that he's listening to Nimic's words is telling us where he's at mentally and where he's at with his uh, next step, I guess, basically. Uh, so I just thought that that was um, really, really well done. I agree. If that's all we get of Nimic's manifesto, wow. That's how I'll say it. It was... It was beautiful, mm-hmm. and it was important, and you see that in in Nemec's on-screen time where he's holding it at all times. He's always adjusting it, and seeing—I sort of pointed out the obvious in the past where it's like that's probably going to play a big part 
in in Cassian's development, I guess. Yeah. But they did such a good job with it because you get to see that Cassian's in a very low place. He's uh, he's separated uh, from what's I forget his name, the one that was in prison with him that we also oh, see Melchi. Roman. Melchi, there you go. He separates from him, and on that phone call, they're telling him that his mom has passed. Yeah. So he has nobody at that point. He's all alone. Yeah. But he's sitting there. I believe back on Ferrix, listening to this manifesto, yeah. and I definitely think that it's the straw that broke the camel's back of his selfishness and just mm-hmm. trying to get the quick payday and just yeah. go scurry away. Yeah. Now he's he's a rebel, and he's a rebel with a cause. Yeah. So that's a dangerous thing to have in the Empire's eyes. And, uh, man, I could just talk about Cassian forever, especially because in our past recaps and stuff, we spent such little time, I feel, talking about Cassian yeah, that true. he just he went high and above uh, this this season finale. I think that it's a really interesting way that they told the story, though. The, the show is called Andor, but they introduce so many critical characters that it's almost like the this is the show showing us the birth of the rebellion just under the Andor banner, right? This is the perspective that they're, the point of view that they're showing. But there were so many episodes where other characters took the um, the highlights, right? I mean, we've we've got... You know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because there's a, a couple things I want to get to at the end here. But so many memorable characters. Let's actually talk about one of them um, because it's still connected to, Ca- to Cassian. And I actually have a—I'm uh, really interested to hear your thoughts on that, that last scene. Not the post-credit scene, but the last scene where Luthen, you know, he takes off. He makes his way back to the Fondor and he says, go full stealth and there's no response. Immediately, you know, something's up. So my first question to myself, or I, I became tense, like, oh, no, who's in that ship? I didn't think, I, I, I thought Cassian could be an option, but it moved so fast, I wasn't prepared for it to, I wasn't sold that it was going to be him. So there was just a couple moments of hesitation, like, who's in this ship, and are they going to kill Luthen? Please don't kill Luthen. <laughs> but it was Cassian, and they have this really interesting conversation where even Luthen looks at him and says, what, what game is this, right? Because he's so used it, made me think of him and Saw, or him and Mon Mothma, where they're just talking in riddles and codes to each other. He's looking at Cassian, Cassian essentially tells him, look, you came here to kill me, right? So I've made it easy for you. Um, so he looks down, there's his blaster, and that's when Luthen's like, what game is this? He's like, no game, right? So he tells him, either kill me or take me in. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that quick scene, but the my real curiosity comes from how did you take that line and Luthen's response to it or his his reaction to it when Cassian said either kill me or take me in. So I knew three things from when they hung out on on Luthen's face while Marva's still talking. I knew, one, that he couldn't kill Cassian anymore. Mm. Two, I knew Cassian was going to show up and the final scene was going to be on the ship or that they were going to have a conversation even if it wasn't on the ship. And the third thing was that Cassian was going to ultimately leave it up to Luthen, whether he brings him on or kills him. I didn't think he was going to kill him. I didn't think he would have that option. But I knew, I don't know if it was just um, Luthen's actor, I don't remember his name, but the acting, I don't know if he... Skarsgård. There you go, Skarsgård. I don't know if Skarsgård was doing it on purpose, but in to me, looking into his eyes, he's theoretically looking at Marva mm. and also seeing Cassian saying, you don't have blood shared, mm. but you are definitely his mother. Mm-hmm. And that means that he is a rebel too. Mm. So I think he made the ultimate decision... He doesn't know too much. He knows just enough so I can make him into a rebel I know he can be. So then Cassian is left with the opportunity. I didn't know where he was going to go after he left Brasso and Bix and all those guys. But I knew he was going to look for Luthen. And I knew he wanted to be a part of the group or be given an opportunity to have his own rebel branch, I guess. So when he goes kill me or take me in, you see... Cassian just absolutely just 
not a shell of a man, but he's very, very vulnerable and yeah. just there. He's at Luthen's mercy. Exactly. He has two opportunities and he's leaving it out of his own control. Mm-hmm. So I I just I knew Luthen wouldn't be able to do it because he also is an opportunist. He he's gonna see Cassian and see, okay, you did this great stuff on Aldani. Mm-hmm. I know you can do a lot more and I know where you come from, so I know what you're capable of yeah. there too. So I loved that he left it up to Luthen, but ultimately I was just, I just thought it was sort of like the destiny. It had to go that way, Mm. so I'm glad that it did. Well, I mean, two things were going through my mind when this was playing out, and the first thing was, well, this is anticlimactic. We know Cassian doesn't die. (laughs) We know he doesn't, we know Luthen's not going to kill him, but when I heard the line, I'll, I'll sort of walk you through my thought process as it was playing out. He said kill me or take me in. My very first reaction as Luthen was sort of thinking before he leaves us with that sort of that grin, my very first reaction was Cassian is offering Luthen the opportunity to kill him or turn him in. Mm. I didn't initially, it came after a couple seconds of thinking, but I didn't initially take it as Cassian offering his services to the rebellion. He was telling, I thought initially that he was telling Luthen, kill me or turn me into the authorities who are still looking for me. And I think that it's brilliant and purposefully ambiguous. Like the show does so many things with where he, he could have other, he could have come straight out and said blatantly, kill me or, let me be a part of the of, of the rebels or let me join your team or something. Yeah. But he chose the, they wrote those words, take me in. And I think it was to confuse people like me to think, Oh, wait a minute. Is he offering him to himself to be turned in or to actually be taken in? So then after a couple seconds of actually thinking and then seeing Luthen smile, it dawned on me. He's like, Oh no, no, he's, he is offering himself to the, to Luthen's, uh, services. So he doesn't really know it as the rebellion yet or the alliance or anything like that. So he's offering to to join the team. But I also think that it was brilliant to use the words take me in because he's an orphan. Yeah. He was an orphan. He was taken in by Clem and Marva. And even though now he's a grown adult, he's still an orphan. So now he's saying, you can take me in. I'll be here. And it's more than just I want to be on your team. This is a, a certain level of trust, right, that he's saying that he has with Luthen. So just like all the writing in this show, I think that specific way of how they brought it together was brilliant, was really, really, really interesting. And then just to end the show with, with Luthen's sort of a grin, like a smirk, just another perfect moment delivered by uh, Stellan Skarsgård. So... Um, I think that's pretty much it for Cassian and the things attached to Cassian. But there were other things that went on in the episode. Um, a couple of things I thought were cool. These are just sort of uh, uh, quick observations. But Luthen Speeder, it looked like a smaller version of Ray's a Speeder from The Force Awakens, which I've always thought the design was really cool on that. So to see it sort of shrunken down and sort of like chromed out, that was pretty cool. I agree. When I saw the speeder, I was like, man, Cassian has all really cool toys. He just keeps <laughs> coming. Yes, yeah, sorry. Luthen has all the cool new toys, and he always is just pulling out more and more and more. And I think it's cool because it shows that he's resourceful, too. Not only is he getting the best stuff just to have it, but he's also using it to his benefit. Because, you know, if he shows up on a ship to Ferrix, he's not getting out on that same ship. Right. He makes sure every single time that he's flying into a different planet that he's finding the the furthest route and the furthest distance, and now he has that cool speeder yeah. along with all the other cool things that are in that best ship in all of Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he also took the at least a similar route that Cassian took him to get to that ship because the first time he showed up on Ferrix, remember, it was like the third episode, or maybe it was the end of the second, but he was he took like that that sort of that trolley thing or that, that um, public transportation, I don't know what to call it, it was flying, uh, that thing he took in, but this time he rode that that speeder in using, and he crossed over like the similar terrain that Cassian did when uh, they escaped in that episode three, which seems like it was forever now ago, but it 
Man, it wasn't. Um, speaking of those little trolley things, you know, welcome back the Gohards, right? So that scene, one of the one of the things that I'm going to couple it with this, there it was sort of striking how this episode had decent stretches of time with no dialogue. Yeah. Like they would just show us images. The visual storytelling through this series has been great, but especially in this in this uh, episode specifically, they were they would show you know Luthen just standing there. He wouldn't say a word. Uh, they showed um, Lieutenant Gorsk. I think his name, is that what his name is Gorsk, uh, sitting on a on the steps after the fact and just looking exhausted. Um, and that and you know oh Mosk, sorry uh, Sergeant Mosk. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> That really sort of awkward scene with Cyril and Mosk sitting in that, you know, that little thing that they were sure. flying into, and they just looked at each other and traded hats. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just confused. Those two guys. Ugh. So it's funny you mentioned that. Mom looked at me at one point and was like, why did they trade hats? <laughs> because, like, it, you would That's think it would have some sort, of, some sort of impact, some sort of effect. But to me, it just reminded me of our introduction to Cyril where he's uh he's tailored his his work jacket essentially mm. he's adjusted the collar he just seems like he's very not necessarily pretentious but definitely picky with what he's wearing mm-hmm. Me- meticulous meticulous yeah and i think that he's trying to make sure he can blend in and not stick out in any way shape or form and i think him and what's his name mox mosk mosk um are trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. So trading hats was them just being very detail-oriented. I thought it was interesting that they left it in there, but it also, to me, fit the perfect mold that is is Cyril. Another thing that they could be getting at is that these two clearly have a connection. And maybe this was just their unspoken way of saying, I'm here for you. Chemistry. Remember, here, here here's my hat. You know, I'm giving it to you um, from both sides. And... You know, we know that season two is happening, and I'm, you know, Cyril and Mosk are very much left un, uh, undecided. I guess they're they're unclear like where they're at with this because once the fighting was done, once uh, Cyril saved Dedra, you know, we didn't see him after that, right? So, I'm pretty sure Dedra may feel some kind of in debt to him now. Um, that whole scene was so. Powerful. I mean, she, holy smokes, the, the um, Dedra was shaking like a leaf. I think that's the first time we actually see Dedra shaking. out of control. Yep. She's f- actually fearful, and she was literally going to be trampled or, or killed any way that they chose to do it, right? And then all of a sudden, here comes Cyril to swoop in, yeah. also capitalizing on an opportunity. Mm-hmm. He's been trying so hard this entire time to get in good graces mm-hmm. with Dedra, and now he says, you don't have to thank me. In my mind, he's not. he doesn't want the verbal thank you. He's going to take his, his thanks in form yeah, of like, new position. Yeah. So he's going to make his way into the ISB totem pole, wherever that may lay, and just continue his obsession with Cassian. So That's um, a very astute observation. So I had the same thought that, you know, this probably does get him some kind of a position in the ISB or at least in the Empire itself and but i didn't really connect it to his further pursuits of cassian which uh would make a lot of sense for them to explore going forward in in season two uh he's still a creep and he's making dedra into a creep and i don't like that because dedra you you were right she was always under control always prepared um but she got caught in a very chaotic situation and surprisingly he was the one that was prepared to save her so he's just a creep still (laughs) yeah you can just see him he wants to jump through this blockade that they have, and he's like, that's her. And Mosk stops him, and he sees her again and wants to do it again yeah, yeah, without yeah. any like forethought. Yeah. So him having that opportunity, he's probably been watching her more than he's been watching the rest of the funeral procession or the, the riot that breaks out. But it was just, it was like that creepiness again all over again. So mm. one thing I wanted to mention, now that I mentioned the uh, funeral procession, but like I said with the music, it didn't feel like a funeral procession. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt like they were walking in, marching into a war that they were going to start. Yep. It didn't feel like right off the bat that they were just going to come and swing in 
hurling rocks at the ISB or anything, but it definitely built there. And the music, I thought it was such an amazing touch because they always have the 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 orchestra and and the the background mm-hmm. the but they score. never have the, exactly the score but they never have it on screen and i thought that was a, such a cool touch and the the adjustments they made to each of the actual um instruments mm-hmm. was so cool and so star wars for me yeah i i thought the same thing i was going to bring up another creep uh mon mothma's driver uh chloris but i'm not but you you brought up the band and the fight so let let's talk about that real quick before we get our general overall thoughts on the series um i thought all of that was extremely extremely effective and it just goes back to the use of sound and music that the show has impressed with throughout the whole season one and it was really set up in the early episodes it made especially when they brought the anvil back the anvil had this purpose everybody was expecting this funeral to start in quote unquote a few hours right even vel told luthan that like, oh, yeah, you, you know, we have time to do this or that. It's going to be a couple hours. And while they're still talking, that anvil strikes. And she told them, you'll be able to know when it happens when the anvil strikes. Yeah. And it started. And just, again, sound, right? And then they cut to the band. The band is just sort of milling around and, warming, and up. warming up, right? And, yeah, I, I love the the Star Warsification of the different instruments. And there they are. They're starting to walk, and they're gathering people as they go. And at first... They didn't sound that great, right? It sort of sounded like an amateur type of group, you know, which they are. They're like a social club. So those types of those types of groups are hit and miss with how well they perform something. And I thought it was so charming the way that, oh, this is nice. It's a quaint funeral procession that they're starting for Marva. And they're trying their best because they didn't sound that great. But the more they went and the more people they, they grabbed and the further they got, the better they sounded, the more powerful they sounded. One thing you mentioned, all the people, made me think of, they made a point. Uh, I should say they, but I mean I mean Dedra. Dedra made a point of saying, give them what they want as a facade to continue to draw Cassian in, right? Yeah. It was a trap they were laying for him. And they sort of had this entitled mm-hmm. like talk about it. Yep. They're like, oh, they we told them 30, they asked for more than that, so we gave them 40. Yeah. They're just the old lady yeah. uh, daughters of Ferrix. Yeah. They're not going to do anything. Yeah. And all of a sudden, hundreds of people are showing up to this. Yeah. The people of Ferrix, I think Marva put it the best way, they've been sleeping. Yes. Right? Oh. And man, did they wake up with a vengeance. Sure they showed up in the hundreds and they were coming to honor Marva. But you could see that they had something more. And it made me think of... Um, I don't I don't know what else to call him other than like the shop owner yeah. and his son. Yep. The son was out there yep. with a vendetta. He was Sold ready. Yep. And I'm glad that the bomb didn't go directly into the crowd of good or bad guys, mm. but without him, I don't know what that fight would have looked like. Yeah. He definitely spread their defenses thin. Number one, he took out a lot of their ammunition and secondly, created chaos behind the fact so no, this line that the, they were trying to push forward through and the stormtroopers with their riot shields and, and all that stuff now had, they were surrounded, basically. They were surrounded by danger. And this this whole scene was just so visceral to me. It was so emotional. And it was, you know, it's it's the, the have-nots versus the haves, you know, the working-class people against a war machine. And... I don't know. I was just I just thought it was so so powerful. Um anytime the powerless rise up and fight against power, I just admire the courage that it takes and the resolve and this was displayed so well. You mentioned you wanted to like get up and run through walls. I experienced similar emotions like this was it was just inspiring. It was hard to sit and watch it. You wanted to like it was creating energy in you, you know? Where can I sign up? <laughs> yeah, right. Where is the local rebellion recruiter recruiter's office? Um, just so so well done, all of it, just from top to bottom. Um, so I think that's going to do it for our specific uh, discussion about the episode, unless you had any final thoughts. You mentioned Chloris, and I just thought, man, they're on to Mon. Yep. They have to be. Yeah. And that made me think of Blevin. 
Blevins pretty much losing to Dedra in their little mm-hmm. inter ISB competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but that doesn't mean Blevins out. Blevins still no. trying to use every little thing. You're gonna learn what this means f- through Game of Thrones, but he has his little birds around oh, trying to yeah, make yeah, sure yeah, yeah. that he has informants yeah. all over the place. So yeah. I'm curious to see what that is gonna look like. I'm hoping that it doesn't put Mon in danger. But man, that was something that I did not expect. Uh, and that's a really good observation I hadn't thought of. And yeah, we, we Mon was in this episode number one, uh, a, another scene, an important scene that had no dialogue whatsoever yeah. at the end when they're showing this engagement that is actually going to happen now with their, with their daughter. I guess I feel a little bit relieved that the daughter seems happy about it. She, she, because this little, this actress who is uh, playing uh, Mon's daughter is so good at her facial expressions <laughs> when she's being disrespectful towards her mother, but then also when she's happy. And you could tell that she seemed happy that this was happening. Uh, clearly, Mon isn't though, and she knows, you know, what, she, why she's doing it and what she's doing it for. And it's just a tough spot for her to be in. But I, I liked the fact that you brought up Blevin. It didn't. It didn't connect with me that he would, he would be the one that was sending uh, Chloris after uh, Mon. But it makes perfect sense. Yeah, because now he is. He wants to have his moment in the sun like Dedra has. And then it's interesting, sort of that now this whole Dedra operation. N- not only did she not come up with Axis, which was what um, Partigas told her to do to 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 cleanse the mouth of the Emperor from Aldani, but. She also allowed this big uprising to happen on Ferric, so that's an interesting place for her to be, where she was coming from, where she was earlier in the season. All the while, the rest of ISB is celebrating because they got Anto Krieger and his crew. So I think they were just trying to get wins all across the board. And man, if I was anybody else, I'd be like furious that that was the complete opposite. Well, and if I were anybody that has to do with the ISB of the Empire, I would sort of be like, yeah, forget Ferrex. Let's get out of here because they're clearly, uh, you know, it's sort of like the U.S. and Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. The the big, powerful um, uh, war, you know, the, the big, powerful forces are not doing very well on this planet. And they need they be sort of like, yeah, let's just leave this, this place alone. So as far as the series as it goes, we do know... Like we've mentioned that there's going to be a season two. Fun fact, it's it just started uh, filming this week. Uh, actually, Thanksgiving week is when it started filming. And I recently read, it was, I think, in The Hollywood Reporter, um, that they're scheduled to film until August. Wow. So I don't know like what the schedule for them is going to be like, if they're going to have long stretches where they're not going to do anything. But I remember they filmed this season, it seemed like, for a long, long time. So it seems like this season two will also be taking a long time. So 2024 is seeming that we're going to be seeing the continuation of the Andor story. Um, And as much as that's going to be tough to wait for, I'm good with it because that means we're going to have some some cool hype and some cool news coming along for the next year or so. And who knows um, after Celebration London if they're going to have another uh, Andor roll out for for the next celebration after that so um this is sort of where our journey with andor started with celebration uh uh, earlier this year so um so as far as your thoughts on the season and the show itself of what we have um what did you think it because of the finale and because of the quality of the entire show it's easily become one of my favorite star wars properties overall not just the shows, not just Disney Plus stuff. It became one of my favorite overall because of how heavy the story was, how important the story is. And I think it, all, it was all just capped off with this finale. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love hearing that. And you said you, you brought up in how important the story is. I also put that in my notes, too, because, you know, you've got the powerless versus the powerful. You've got the people that have nothing, you know, fighting against the the people that have everything. And I think that that resonates with people uh, in a big way. But also it highlights the, it's highlighted the importance of individuals, right? So the, the original Star Wars movies, as much as they were focused on, you know, Luke, Leia and Han and Chewie, and they were in, those are individuals, clearly, obviously, they're still fighting a war and they told it on a really macro level, right? They're talking about very general things, 
But this really honed in on people and yeah. put faces on people. You know, I'm thinking like Marva, Kino, um, Luthen specifically also, uh, what he means to the larger picture. Uh, Cassian, Bix. These are people that are moving little by little this whole rebellion towards what we know happens with the Death Star, which we see in the post credit scene, right? And, and we finally get that riddle that riddle solved. What were they making in that uh, in that that prison? And it ends up being the thing that ends up, you know, Cassian was helping make the weapon that ends up killing him, right. which is dark and sad. And Melshi was also on on um, Scarif, right? Did he die before? Did we see Melshi die before the Death Star blew up? That whole area, I don't remember. I don't, I don't think. I don't think we did. So it very well could have ended up killing Melshi too on Scarif. Um, but yeah, so the the importance of an individual, I thought it, it really excelled at that aspect of it. Um, it. And I also think clearly the cast did a fantastic job. The production value was off the charts. I'm I'm really hoping. I don't really care too much about awards and stuff. I know a lot of people. It's important to them, and I love to see the things I like recognized. So I'm sort of hoping that this show wins some of those awards uh, that are going to be out there. Um, uh-huh. I'm going to start giving out awards called the Easter Egg Awards <laughs> because they did a really good job of dropping Easter eggs in this this uh, mm-hmm. season. Not only they were some of them smaller, some of them bigger. One thing I caught was when Dedra is landing on Ferrix, she's accompanied with troopers. Yep, those are death troopers. Those are death troopers. I think chronologically that would be like the introduction for him, and I thought that was just a cool little thing to sprinkle in, just because they're such a big part after pretty much Andor in a chronological order. The only thing I think that might throw a, a curveball into that theory is the first scene in Rogue One. When Krennic shows up on um, Ur- on Urso, uh, Galen Urso's planet, he comes to pick him up. He comes to basically recapture him. Uh, Jen Urso is a little girl, and he has those Death Troopers with him. But they, you know, it's a very small scene. Uh, but yeah, another the images that they, you know, harkened back to from Rogue One in this series was also cool. That is an is uh, one of them, but also the. The K the the K two type of droids K two S O type of droids in the earlier part uh, and there was just some of those images I thought were awesome. Um, the last thing I have to say really about the show is I I've always sort of been under the impression that Star Wars sort of has to follow a certain formula, right? Um, you know, animation is very much different than the movies, but still. The movies have always sort of kept to the same DNA, but I think that Andor is a great example of the diversity of the storytelling that you can you can have in Star Wars because this is an espionage tale. This is a, a really on-the-ground, grounded, um, mature, and violent. I don't want all my Star Wars to be this. I, I love what Star Wars is, and I love that sort of fantasy and out there. I love the space wizards with their with their <laughs> laser swords and and I love the the quippy lines and the and the romantic scores that we hear like from John Williams and whatnot. Um I I, I love the Mandalorian and and Grogu and the sort of the the whole uh side of the galaxy that they're explaining there with getting into Mandalore and whatnot, which I think is just a well of untapped resources. Um, But I just think that this really shows us that you can do different things within that Star Wars galaxy and it can be effective and it can be intriguing and it can be gripping and great entertainment. So hats off to everybody. Hats off to everybody involved. Uh, Really, really impressive and really happy that this is out there. And it even made me think of like Last um, last New Year's, and I don't know if, if we've mentioned this or not on the podcast before. I think we may have. But typically our family does like a movie marathon of some sort on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Our first one, you, you guys were pretty young. Our first one was with Indiana Jones. We marathoned through all four Indiana Jones movies uh, through New Year's New Year's Day. And last year, we actually changed it up a little bit. A couple years ago, we did uh, the, all the Avengers movies, just Avengers so the first one, Ultron, Infinity War, and Endgame. And then that was like two years ago. Last year, we did something different. We watched the last four episodes of The Clone Wars Season 7 and then Revenge of the Sith. 
And it was sort of like a prequel story to get us into Revenge of the Sith. And it was really, really cool. This is something that could totally go into that where you can watch season one of Andor and then Rogue One and then A New Hope, right? Because all these things are flowing into each other. And I love how they're just sort of like filling in those gaps and giving us, you know, it's making the the Star Wars tapestry even more um, deep and colorful and wonderful. So hats off to everybody. Um, any, uh, Any final thoughts to take us to the end of the episode? I think the last thought I have is Star Wars, whether it's the production team, the writing, whatever it is, or the actual cinema of it, it's all about unsung heroes. There's mm-hmm. always the heroes, mm-hmm. but without the unsung heroes, they can't really thrive. So hats off to everybody involved in the production of this stuff and to the people who have to keep track of all the crazy, insane detail <laughs> that are the stories. But I think, to me, the unsung hero of this uh, finale was Pegla, right? Pegla was the guy that was with, like, what I call Star Wars dogs, who sees oh. Cassian messing with the, yeah. the ship, right? Yeah, yeah. Without him, he's not able to get up in the tower and watch. Yeah. Without him, he's not able to get off the planet, yeah. all this different yeah. stuff. And I just would be remiss if I didn't mention him because he just played such an important piece. And uh, I hope he shows up again. Even though he's not this major character, I wouldn't even call him a side character because he wasn't all that involved. He was here and there. But, man, he was awesome. Yeah, you're right, and he was the, he he ended up being a lot nicer than I remembered him being because in the first the first episode that we saw him in was when Cassian was returning from uh, Morlana One, and he was returning the ship, and he was a little bit antagonistic towards Cassian, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he really did he did save the day. Um, I mean, Cassian could have been eaten by dogs, and then this whole thing would have been over. So yeah, good for him, good call, like it. Um, again, those those uh, those individuals yeah. that help the bigger picture. Uh, well, the big picture here is that we're going to be done with this uh, episode. So thank you all for listening uh, to this episode. We hope that you guys enjoyed the finale of Andor. We appreciate you guys listening to all of our episode recaps and conversations that we've had the pleasure of doing over the past two, two-ish two months with Andor. Uh, so we appreciate the time and the support, and uh, we are going to sign off for the for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and take care of each other. Bye. You can find The Colby Cast on Twitter and Instagram at The Colby Cast. If you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do.